0: But I was sad because I had always wanted to be a mother. And his death left my dream unfulfilled. But there was still hope. Judah, my father-in-law, arranged for me to marry Ur's brother, Onan. Under Hebrew law, Onan was bound by duty to produce an heir for his brother. But Onan was not very kind to me either. Like his brother, he was harsh and at times cruel. I hated the times we were intimate. He was never gentle or kind. He would roll away from me early so that I could not conceive. His heart was like stone. I felt used when we were together and neglected in every way that a man should care for his wife. But tragedy struck again, and I found myself twice a widow and still childless. Hope was dim this time. Judah had another son, Sheila, but I would have to wait a number of years until he reached marrying age. Even so, Judah promised me that when Sheila was old enough, he would give him to me in marriage, and we would produce an heir for Ur. So I returned to my father's house and waited, and waited, and waited. I waited for years, and there was no word from Judah or Sheila. Had he forgotten me? I felt forgotten, deceived, humiliated, abandoned. Why had he forgotten me? Why had God forgotten me? A little while later, I got word that my mother-in-law had passed and that Judah would be traveling to Timna. I'd been waiting for so long at this point. I knew that he was not going to uphold his promise to me. My status in my community was tarnished and no one else would want me. I had no future before me where I could have a family. I felt angry and desperate, so I did what I thought I needed to do. Judah was a weak man easily influenced by his traveling companion, Hurrah, the Dulemite, who was known for his interest in shrine women, you know, women who sell themselves. With the passing of his wife, Shua, Judah would be especially vulnerable. My plan was extremely risky, but I did. what did I have to lose? I'd already lost so much. So I disguised myself as a shrine woman, attractive to each man, and placed myself on the route that I knew my father-in-law would follow. And sure enough, he approached me to entertain him for the evening. I asked for his signet, cord, and staff as collateral until payment could be sent to me. And with that, we shared one evening together. Afterwards, I went back to my widow garments and waited to see if my plan had worked. What if it didn't? What if I could not conceive? What if, what if I gave myself away for nothing? But it did work. I'd never been so happy to be sick and tired, My body started displaying signs that it was no longer my own. Life was being made in darkness. Hope was growing inside of me. I got word that my father-in-law had heard of my indiscretion. He'd heard that I was with child, and he was calling for my death. He wanted me burned. And what of the life inside of me? Were we so expendable? So I played the last card that I had. And when they came for me, I brought the signet, the cord, and the staff that I'd taken from Judah, And I looked him right in the eye, and I said to him, please identify whose these are. He looked shocked is not the right word, astounded maybe. No, there was a look of recognition and then one of deep sorrow and regret and remorse. And then Judah spoke. He said, those are mine. She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila."
1: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for it speaks to us. We are here today to learn from you, understand you, and in understanding and knowing you, Father, we come to understand ourselves. So have your way, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Family, we are in a season within our country where people are trying to clean up their personalities We're in the political season, and you know during politics, what you want to make sure you do is have your image be squeaky clean. Your image is to be uh, amazing, untouchable. And so what happens is politicians, what they try to do is they go see, okay, do I have any dirt? If I got some dirt, I better go ahead and clean it up. Actually... I better make sure not simply my dirt is clean, that actually my family's dirt is clean, too. Because if it comes out that the people closest to me have done something that's really jacked up, then it's going to affect my image. And actually, I better start looking down the line a little bit because the cleaner my family history, the better image I can have. You see, that's not something that's, Recent. That's not a political thing of today. That actually was the goes back into Jesus's day. You see, in Jesus's day, people would say, well, wait, who's your father? Who's your father's father? Who's his father? You had to be from a certain line that produced you being able to have significance. And when they say something like, does anything come from Nazareth? It's a statement of your past is pretty jacked up. You can't be a good person coming from that place. And so family lineage and how clean your lineage is matters. And the question I would ask each of you, if you wanted to be deemed king of kings, how squeaky clean would you make your history? How squeaky clean would you make your lineage? And so in the book of Matthew, we open up the book and in the first chapter, the first verses, verse one through 17, we get this list of a lineage and a lineage or, or, or your, your history is kind of like your family tree. I don't know if we got a picture of that family tree, but it's kind of like your, your family tree. It's what, it's what makes you up. You know, it's what gets you to who you are. And the first 17 verses, uh, you see that? me, Yeah, I could have found a better picture. Y'all, I was struggling. Um, but the first 17 verses are Jesus showing his family tree. And I'm thankful that Jesus is not like you. That He's not like me, that what he does, he doesn't make his family tree perfect, untouchable, simply amazing. So that everyone says, oh, but of course he's the king of king. Actually, Jesus does something totally different. Jesus includes within his family tree people from other nations. He includes within his family tree women. Jesus says, within my family tree, you're going to see a new kingdom. And that kingdom that has produced me is amazing. It is beautiful. And each of these names have significance, value, and worth. But the reason why I love Jesus presenting his genealogy is that what he presents is a people that are messed up. Some Folks got some stuff in a family, so you like, I just heard this monologue. I thought we were talking about Christmas. <laughs> What's she talking about how to see what 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 we are hoping to do y'all over these next four weeks is allow Jesus' family tree to point us toward the need for him coming that we see in his family tree each person, and we'll say, man, that person was good, but uh-oh, look at the bad parts of them, and we see why we need God. Yeah. Oh, man, look at how amazing they were. Oh, but here's another aspect of their character, and we see why we need God, and that we would pause and say, we, we, might, we might have some family that's a little, that's a little jacked up. We might have some issues in our families that's a bit jacked up and that God can use it to bring forth glory. So we're going to each week highlight one of the people that is present within that lineage. You can go to that next one, James. This is a snapshot of the lineage, but we'll each week highlight one of these people. And this week we're starting with the story of Tamar. Now, Tamar, and I would ask you to turn to Genesis 38, it'll be up here, but I'm pretty sure you did not learn about Tamar in Sunday school class. (laughs) Pretty pretty sure your Sunday school teacher didn't take you through that when you was a kid. And so because because Tamar is a sensitive topic, I want you to know we do hold scripture very, very dear and we we revere it properly. But because we have some of our kids present, I'm going to insert some words that are more child appropriate because I don't want to be the one to introduce your kids to certain terms. We want that to be the parents. Amen. 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 So if you see me say something that might be a little different than what's up here, it's, it still is the heart of the text. Genesis chapter 38. We start at verse one. Genesis chapter 38. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain, Canaan, a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went uh, and went to her, went with her, and she conceived and bore a son and he called his name Er. She conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan. Yet again, she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Shebez when she, uh, when she bore him. And so Judah is, is a prominent uh, person within the tribe of Israel, a brother of Joseph. And actually, we don't know why he went south. Some say he went south because the chapter beforehand, his brother Joseph had just been sold into slavery. And maybe he was heartbroken and said, man, I got to I got to leave here and I'm headed south. Now he messes up because he he begins to marry somebody that's outside of the crew. He marries a Canaanite. And, you know, down the road, the Canaanites are going to be the people that that are um, that the Jews are going to be pursuing to get to the promised land. And so this is almost seeming like, hold on, brother, you marrying the enemy. This doesn't seem right. But. But Judah has these three children. And sometimes your children don't turn out to be just like you. Can I get an amen? Amen. Look with me at verse 6 through 10. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go. And be with your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he was with his brother's wife, he would uh, roll off her and waste his offspring so as not to give children to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And he and, and the Lord put him to death also. So you have what what takes place is, is the idea of covering and fulfillment of the covering. So you have in marriage a woman who leaves mom and dad to join a husband. Under mom and dad, you are covered. We got you. Whatever you need, we got you. But when you leave mom and dad, you still need to be covered. Now dad is saying, I'm trusting you, husband, to now be the covering for my daughter Great. That's what then happens. Now the husband is the covering. But what happens when the husband dies? The family is still the one who covers and cares for this daughter. And so now the father goes to the next brother in line as part of the the right marriage. If you look in Deuteronomy 25, you'll see this. The father goes to the next brother and says, hey, it's on you to produce an heir for your brother. It's one of the responsibilities you have because there is an inheritance that each of you get. And the inheritance is going to go to the child that is produced. And so we need to be able to care for your brother, extend his name, extend his legacy, extend his inheritance. And so this was common in that day. And unfortunately, what was not common was the actions of Onan. Own and do something shisty, y'all. Yup, I know it's Christmas, but you, I'm gonna get to the point in a minute. Own and do something shisty, y'all. He takes advantage of the pleasure, but doesn't want to produce what he's responsible for, which is an heir to his brother. He he, he wants the fulfillment and the joy, but he doesn't want the responsibility. He even says, I know this kid won't be mine. But what he's he's saying is, I don't care about my brother's legacy. What he's saying is, I don't care about my brother's, my sister-in-law. All I want is to get mine. And I was doing some quick research. This has nothing to do with the sermon. (laughs) But it does have to do with beautiful people who are within my, who in, in my sanctuary. And those that might be listening online someday, they say, that stats, shoot not they say, stats show that most, the most children born within our year take place in September. Actually, September 16th is the date where most kids are born, which they say means that December is the time frame when most children are conceived within a year. We don't know if that's because folks are lonely around the holidays We don't know if that's because people are celebrating a lot. We don't know the reasons. All we know is that that's what the stats show. I have some amazingly beautiful people, and I'm trying to warn you, don't let any hunger, any desire, any type of fulfillment that you might long for in a person that's not your spouse be lit aflame during this holiday season. Yes, pastor said it. I'm sorry, the stats show it. So I'm just trying to get us prepared. I know that stepped out of the sermon. We back into the sermon. So (laughs) Onan plays and does wrong. And God responds by saying, the way you've treated this woman, as if she was a piece of property, as if, you know what? You will die for that. And so his life is taken by God as a result. And what I'm I'm showing you, like each step of the way here, is a family that's jacked up. Step one, family jacked up. Because the brother does not care for and honor his sister-in-law well. Let's continue to see. Other, lay, other aspects of a family that's jacked up, but then how God can use even our jacked upness to bring him glory. Continue with me, verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brother's. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. Point of mention, don't name your son Sheila. Okay. Um, but, But basically, you see the covering aspect still take place. Why? Because what he says is basically, son number one died, son number two died. Come, we got you. Stay with us. We will care for you. We will protect you. We will provide for you. You are a part of our family. We will make sure that you are set up well until our son is old enough to do what the law requires and to fulfill the goal in which I have, which is to see you have a son that we can continue to care for and see the line of our family flow through. And so the goal is to care for her. It is it is. It is a broken family because you see Onan doing some stuff that's jacked up. But then you got Judah. Judah's showing character. Judah is showing honor. Judah is saying, no, not on my watch. I'm going to make sure you cared for. I'm going to make sure you provided for. I'm going to make sure that all your needs are met. Let's continue. Verse 12. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Hira, the Dulemite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garment and covered her face with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance of Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up and she had not been given to him in marriage. Judah's wife passes away and he, he enters into mourning. He enters into a, a grieving period. And so he begins to go this route that she knows because her family is from the Enim area. And so if I said to you, um, You know, uh, in a minute, my brother's gonna come past Mac and Bewick. Already in your mind, you have a sense of somebody walking down the street coming past Mac and Bewick and all the opportunities that are present at Mac and Bewick. What you need some rims, what you need a pager, what you need a cell phone, what you need a house. We got everything for you right here in the back. So you already know in that environment, it's is, is all types of drama, it's all types of connections, and she knows the route that he's taking. he's going to go past the women that like to be free, that like to be loose. And unfortunately, she had been around him long enough to, to see his character, and so she prepares to meet him. Now we see two different things happen, though. We saw Onan wronging this woman. We saw Judah trying to be a man of character. But now we begin to see both of the people who seem to be people of character begin to get deceitful and play one another. Now we have Judah who doesn't want his third son to die, so he doesn't even plan to see them get connected. Basically plays her. But then we have our sister. Now our sister starts getting a little de- de- a, l- a little deceitful too. She got on the, the widow's clothes that you would see from day one, from a mile away. Those clothes you would know, that's a person that we're supposed to care for. That's this person who's lost something. That's a person who needs to be received the generosity of the people. She takes off that. She put on the red leather miniskirt. She she puts on a whole different outfit and she knows now what her intentions are. And y'all, we see a woman that was patiently waiting and waiting and awaiting. Now go to take time into her own hands. And the question is, when are you, when are we prone to take matters into our own hands? When are we prone to, instead of trusting and believing and waiting on the timing of God, prone to take matters into our own hands? Just because God is gracious doesn't mean we should take advantage of his grace. Continue with me, verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a shrine woman that would sell herself, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, come, let me lay with you, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may lay with me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it, Uh, if you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand." So he gave them to her and laid with her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. Soap operas ain't got nothing on the Bible. nothing on the bible so you so you have this story of unhealthy activities and unhealthy people lying and deceiving one another you have this woman who says basically if you want it what are you going to give me he says cool i'll give you some money but i don't have it with me right now she says i oh, will sorry brother we don't take credit So he says, but wait, I, I, have, I have this cord, I have my signet. She said, great, I'll take that. And what the signet is, it's, 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 it's as if me and you were in a deal and we needed to sign paper. What We didn't sign with the signature. What we had was a signet ring that had only a crest that was connected to us and we would stamp into wax and it would be a signature that represented me. It would be like today's license. Only one that's for you. And so when she gets this, she gets something that is near and dear to him. Something that that is only associated with him and with his character because how many of y'all pass out your license to other people? And so now we have what seems to be a cover up. Look with me in verse 20. When Judah sent the young goat by his By his friend, the Dulamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. And he asked the men of the place, where is the cult woman who sells herself, who was at Enim at the roadside? And they said, no such woman has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, no woman who sells herself has been here. And Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own. Or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat and you did not find her. So now we got a situation where they go to try to find her. We're going to pay you like we said we would. And she's gone. Looked around. Anybody seen the woman with the red leather? (laughs) Nobody. So now they come back and they connect and they realize you, we will be the laughing stock of the city if we tell everyone that this, this woman has our signature, has me, a man of stature, has my, my license, has, has my identification. And so let's sweep it under the rug. Do you see the brokenness found within this family and the activities? You see the deceit. You see the lying. You see the trickery. And yet, Jesus had the opportunity. God had the opportunity in writing his scriptures to make a lineage, to make a history, to put people in the family tree that was going to be perfect. And Jesus has this story in his family line. One that's going to stand out because anybody reading this would have said, a woman, a woman, a woman. Why is, why is a woman there? What? It would have stood out right away. And I think I he think gives us some great reasons as to, as to why it stands out. First, I think he wants us to see the value of of people leading well. First off, we see the humility of this woman as she waited patiently on God. But then we see the brokenness of this sister who got tired of waiting. We see the lack of 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 a culture where men don't lead well. Judah was supposed to be this woman's protector, supposed to make sure she never got to a place where she felt like she had to compromise. If Judah would have honored her with his words in the the same way that he had done a ton of other things, she she would have conceived in the way that the laws had led. So Judah did not model faithful leadership and why is this a part of, of, of a Christmas time? Well, one, Jesus makes it a part of Christmas time. So I'm just following Jesus. You got a problem with him, take it up with him. Um, <laughs> but two, like the holidays kick off a number of different emotions. Like holidays bring forth grief in people at times because you, you don't have that loved one that, is, that, that may not be here. But it also can, can bring forth senses of, of loneliness, of guilt, and of shame. You see, in our, in our lives and in our families and in our structures, stuff like this didn't just happen back in the day. Sadly, it still continues to happen today. Where inappropriate activities happen within Families, And we want to say, as a church family, if you've ever been a victim of that, that there is no condemnation. That God does not see you being a victim and it being your fault. So we champion you and we champion you being healed during this season because sometimes holidays can trigger someone who did something inappropriate. And we are wanting to be a resource as a church fam, not to say that we have all the answers, but we want to connect you with people who can be a support to you. And if you've been the aggressor, there is hope for you as well. But there is no hope if we play like Judah and try to sweep things under the rug. If we try to be deceitful, if we try to be A people that when we do wrong, we just play good in front of people so everybody thinks it's okay. Let us learn from these stories, even during times of us celebrating our need for a savior. Because you can see from this situation, there was a need for a savior. Continue with me in verse 24. After three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Do you see the hypocrisy there? I mean, just just culturally there's hypocrisy, right? That that if she does it, burn her. If you do it, you still get to hold your stature. So we already know there's some some cultural stuff that's, that's jacked up. But, but he's the one that's providing for her. He's giving her a home. He's giving her food. He's set her up. When people see her in the street, they see her connected to his family. And so this also is a jab at his character and stature. Like, we're trying to protect and care for you, and that's how you're going to act? All this that we've invested in you and you want to go out here in the streets and do this? You want to betray us? Stoner? But actually, it's a little bit more painful than that. Says burn her. Continue with me at verse 25. As she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not know her again. Tamar kept some, some collateral. She kept, she kept a, a kind of ace in the hole. She kept the, the signet cord and she said, as she's being marched to what will probably be a place where she'll take her last breath, send this off to my father-in-law. Let him know, the person who owns this, I'm, I'm pregnant by. And when he gets there, he looks at his license and just sees a picture of himself. Guilty. Guilty. And I love that what we see is a man who's supposed to be honoring and protecting this woman. Then he corrupts, jacks her up, tries to hide it. And he has the opportunity now to hide it again. Because he has back the signet court. He has back the staff. And what does he do? He could have let her be burned, got his stuff back, and called it a day. No one would have known. No one would have questioned him. But what does Judah do? He repents. He repents. He, apolog- he, he owns the sin that he has done. And not only in owning the sin, he also elevates her. Whoa, wait a minute. I wronged her a couple times. I put her in this position. And now look at her. More righteous than I. He's done this thing, but but he repents. He repents. Look with me at verse 27 and 20 through 30. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, One put a hand, uh, one put out a hand and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand saying, this one came out first. And as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah. So you have this jacked up situation, a situation where you wouldn't wish this on on your enemy. And then you have the fruit of this situation be two children, twins, look like they might have been sumo wrestling in the belly because they was vying for who coming out first. But what we see happen is not simply there's a couple of children made. Actually, what what happens is Perez is, how do you say great-granddaddy times nine? (laughs) Perez goes on to be a part of the genealogy, the family tree of David. David The king is is a prototype for Jesus, our king. And so this story of jacked up, messed up family situations that you couldn't imagine, stuff that isn't supposed to happen between people who want to honor God and love God, a brokenness that's there, Jesus has in his history. And he says, and the fruit of all that As one of my great, 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 great grandfathers. Do you see that through repentance, there still can be hope? That through Judah's repentance, through him acknowledging the wrong that he did, that God can still honor a people. Do you see that even through broken circumstances, God can bring glory to himself? You've got Perez now, great-grandfather, great-great-great times nine, grandfather to the King David. But one of, the, one of the problems, one of the struggles that we can have as humans is we don't have that type of foresight. We don't see how God can redeem our brokenness to create an, a new reality for others. We think that the pain we experience it can be bigger than the God we serve. Don't be fooled. Jesus has this story within his genealogy so that you can see oh you broken? You in good company. Oh, you've had some jacked up stuff happen to you. I can still use you. Oh, you've done some jacked up stuff. It's been you. Then repent. And I can still use you. You see, this is a Christmas story, excuse me, a Christmas story because God wants us to be reminded that all people needed a savior. And that every family's got some brokenness in it somewhere. And that God, through his healing hand, through his restorative hand, through his redeeming hand, wants us to experience his love. See, do you, do you hope for something more? Do you hope that God can use even the broken of situations to bring forth joy, love, and peace in your life, in the life of those behind you? My wife and I was driving back from from uh, visiting some family, and we were just like, man, man, we're so thankful and grateful for our family. But then we also paused and thought, like, huh, we think about this generation. Ooh, remember that happened? Oh, yeah. Remember this generation? Like, man, I pray my kids, like, grow up and that y'all are, like, aunties and uncles to them, and they're protected, and they grow up with, like, no internal family drama issues at all but someday I'm going to have to tell them we got some crazies. <laughs> just, it, 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 and, that, and that God redeems it all. That the person that you know today who's smiling, a faithful, amazing, productive citizen within our society, let me tell you about him back in the day and how God used that life to bring himself glory. And so the question is, do you see yourself as that beautiful work of art that God is putting together? Taking some brokenness and putting together a beautiful masterpiece. Do you see that as yourself? I pray that you don't see yourself as having already had it together. That that's for other people that, well, my life wasn't like this, so therefore we are all good. No, and you don't believe in the, 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 the gravity of sin. And this Jesus has come into this world to say, I am Emmanuel, God with us. And will you have hope in me that I can remedy all situations? the joy and the beauty of people, but also their brokenness. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful. We're thankful, God, that you love us and that you do have a beautifully diverse genealogy, one that uh, draws us to your work in the lives of people. Help us, God, to be um, hopeful during this season where we have a, a hope in you coming again to make all relationships new, a hope in your return, Father, where there will be nothing but peace, joy, and love that abounds for those that believe in you. We long for that day, Lord, Until then, God, would you allow us to wait patiently as we sang, wait on you, and not begin to take time and actions into our own hands. Let us learn from our sister Tamar that we might live more boldly for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.